Welcome to another episode of Healing Racism in Schools with your host, Charlotte Stevens and the Ancestors. I appreciate all the love and support I have gotten um, since releasing my podcast. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me. Um, and I'm glad that this is having a positive impact for so many people, not just educators, which is great because everybody can benefit from this information. So thank you so much. I wanted to get right into some of the ways that we can protect our children in our schools. Um, I believe that that's something that we all want, right? We all want our, our children to be safe. We all want our children to be getting a sound education. We want them to be prepared to not only survive, but thrive in society. Um, and for our, uh, black and people uh, people of color, black and brown people, indigenous people, those of us who, who come from communities, poor people who come from communities that are uh, disenfranchised and don't have resources, we want our, our kids to be prepared not only to thrive, well, like I said, not only to, to survive, but thrive, to be able to create opportunities and to be able to uplift our communities. Um, and that's good for everybody, right? So all tides, when the tide lifts, all the boats lift, right? That's good for everybody. Everybody who's out there like, oh, I don't want my tax dollars being spent, you know, taking care of these people. Well, great. Let's, let's provide resources and opportunities so that we don't have to do that, right? If that's really um, your objective. So I know that as as educators, you know, we've studied Maslow's hierarchy of needs and one of after survival, right? After like, you know, everybody needs to eat and sleep and and drink, right? After those needs are met, the num- the second most important need is safety. Is that need for security? Is that need for um feeling protected and knowing that I'm I'm in a safe place? And I believe that that's what most educators want. We want our classroom to be a safe space. And we know from the studies that, you know, if we really want our students to take risks, if we really want our students to um, be able to make mistakes, right, as you're learning new difficult material, um, that's, you're asking a student to be vulnerable is essentially what you're saying when it's like, hey, let's go, let's go learn this thing that, you know, you, maybe you've been told is super hard, or maybe you have some type of reservations about, like, trust me, it's going to be okay. You're asking a student to be vulnerable. You're asking a student to trust you. Well, in order to trust you, I need to feel what? I need to feel safe, right? So I need to feel safe. And so I think most educators will say, oh, well, I set up my classroom to be safe. But if you are a white educator or even just an educator raised in white supremacy, because we're all conditioned to ingest this stuff, there's things that are going on in your classroom that you have just been conditioned to not question, you have conditioned, you've been conditioned to not question, you take them for granted and you assume that your classroom is set up in, a, in a, you know, an appropriate way, not recognizing the ways that your classroom is not safe for, for, for students. I will provide you with clear examples. So the question to examine is what if your classroom is really a hostile environment? What if you hope it's a safe space, but it's really a hostile environment? And maybe not for you, but for your students. So I'm going to share a story. I was, I don't even know how many years ago this was, 10 years ago, I want to say. I was guest teaching at one of the largest high schools in San Jose. And I was in, uh, it was a like 11th grade class, 11th grade social studies class. I'm subbing for the teacher. She's out on maternity leave. I'm the long-term sub. Um, 
on the walls are pictures of all the presidents. So on all three walls, I am surrounded by pictures of all of the presidents. Is that appropriate for a social studies class in high school? Absolutely, right? Makes perfect sense. I could see why she would do it. I could see why everybody would praise it. I would see why it's appropriate. And for me, as a black woman who understands history, who under who knows a lot of, about who these men were, these white men and what their policies were, this is a this is a very uncomfortable workspace for me. I am in a hostile work environment. I'm literally surrounded by white supremacists or people who, if they were alive, would tell me that they did not see my value, who did not um, see my intelligence. They'd be like, why the hell are you even out here teaching? Like, you should be in a field. Like, a lot of these quote unquote founding fathers were slave owners. They, they, they owned enslaved Africans. I, I cannot feel any type of what, any type of good about people who owned my ancestors knowing the things that they had liberty to do and did do. Right. We're talking about pedophilia. We're talking about raping children, raping, raping men, raping women, ripping families apart, having people ripped apart by dogs. You could do anything you wanted to your quote unquote property. So this is a hostile environment for me as a black woman, as a descendant of an enslaved Africans, knowing that most of these white men were sexist, were racist, were white supremacists. So that's, that's the type of thing that we take for granted that we're not considering that has, is having an impact on our students' ability to feel safe, right? And again, hierarchy of needs. If your student doesn't feel safe, they're not going to trust you. They're not going to walk with you in the land of trigonometry or whatever um, skill you're trying to, to teach them or, you know, um, propositions or writing an essay, whatever it is you're trying to teach them, like, no, I don't trust you. Like this, this is a hostile environment. So who's on your walls is something that you really want to pay attention to. What message are you sending your students? I like looking at me just like white folks, like looking at them. And if you think about it, like white folks are constantly looking at themselves, you know what I mean? Like on the TV, like, like within the politics, like you guys are always looking at yourselves. Well, you know what? We all want that experience. We all want to see mirrors. And that's what uh, Issa Rae says. Issa Rae um, is the woman who produces um, Insecure on HBO. Started off with Awkward Black Girl. But she says, you know, I want to leave more mirrors. I want to leave more opportunities to see people like me. When it comes to African-Americans, we always get the same tragic narrative that like I can't relate to. Like I, I didn't grow up in the hood. You know, like I don't play sports. I don't I don't rap. You know what I mean? Like my family was academic and we were we were they're freedom fighters. They're social justice people. Like, where's that story? You know what I mean? I, there weren't any mirrors for me. I'm trying to create mirrors. I'm trying to create opportunities for our students to see themselves in the curriculum because that's what made a world of difference for me. That was night and day for me. All you had to do was show me, give me an option where the person and the hero looks like me. Let that be one of the choices and not in a stereotypical way, but in a way that shows the diversity of black people. We are extremely diverse. But, but we're always fed the same. Like when you try to look up black movies on like Netflix, it is so depressing. It is always some gangster shit. It's always some poverty stuff. It's always some like, like, it's just always tragic. I'm so tired of that story. Where's the black joy? Where's the black joy? I want to see the black joy. That's what I want to see. So anyway, I digress, even though you need to know all this anyway. Um, some other 
obvious ways that I've seen that we're deserving our students is in terms. And I'm going to give you just some of this, the rest of this, you know, you're going to have to buy in my trainings. I'm protecting my intellectual property, but you do need to just consider, like as you're starting to get some of these uh, examples, do your own introspection, start to look within your own lesson plans and be like, "Mm, I don't know, maybe there's a better way to phrase that. Maybe I should be thoughtful about that. So founding fathers, these were slave owners. That's not my daddy, you know? And, and what's crazy about that is a lot of them actually did father uh, black children. You know what I mean? They, they raped my ancestors. They raped my great-great-grandmother and they created children that they also kept in bondage. I mean, they mistreated their own blood. So like in a lot of ways, that that is my daddy, but I don't claim that man. So that's not my founding. Don't call them founding fathers. Founding fathers to whom? And just when you, when you, who, who owns, you know what I mean? Just from whose perspective? You really have to think about these terms and really consider that the language is embedded with it. So you just using everyday language, right? You repeating what's in the book and not being thoughtful about it. You're perpetuating this stuff because it's ingrained, which is why you're going to have to be thoughtful. You cannot be like passively teaching. So founding fathers is problematic. You could say framers. Um, I like to say the white supremacists who created this country, um, you, you know, make it your own. Um, but Founding fathers is not appropriate. Slaves. There is no slave race. That's the fallacy of white supremacy. That's the fallacy of black inferiority that was created to protect the economic interests of maintaining uh, a system of enslavement. These are enslaved Africans. These are people who were kidnapped and are now in a system of enslavement. Okay. Enslaved Africans get used to saying it. I'm tired of seeing slaves. Don't, don't call me a slave. Um, Indians. This white man, Columbus, supposedly comes over here and makes mistake, mistakes his place for India. And then we continue to repeat that. Only a white man could make a mistake. And we're going to continue to repeat that and insult these people for, for how many years? How many? How many? They're not Indians. I say indigenous. I say Native American, but even Native American bothers me because I'm like, it wasn't America. Like what that's still in context of, of America. You know what I mean? So I think it's really important to ask people, what, how would you like me to refer to you rather than repeat something that we know is not, is, is not true. Like stop saying Indians. It's, it's, it, it, it is so inappropriate and just ridiculous and just shows the arrogance of white supremacy. Like he was wrong. This isn't freaking India. And Indian people from India shouldn't have to say that, right? Shouldn't have to be like, oh, I'm Indian from, I'm from India. You shouldn't have to say that, right? Like, but you do because we repeat this. So that's problematic. And then illegal aliens. I want you to think about the effect of that. Like if like a five-year-old child heard you refer to them as an illegal alien. I know that illegal means against the law. And I know that as a kid hearing that, it's like, ooh, you don't want to be against the law. You don't want to be the bad guys. Everybody knows if you're against the law, you're the bad guys. Illegal. You're against the law. And then alien. We have a lot of dehumanizing terms for people. We like to refer to black people as monkeys and apes. You can see that with Obama. They were always calling him an ape. Um, We dehumanize people. I think they call Jewish people rats. But alien says you're not even from planet Earth. And I understand that that's just a term we use or people can justify it. It's a term we use. People who aren't citizens. But just the effect of that, I just feel like it's really dehumanizing and we need to get rid of that term from our vocabulary. 
Um, I'm going to keep this one short. This is, this is going to be a, a part one, part two. So this is part one. <sighs> we got to decolonize our curriculum. We have to be thoughtful about the words we say. We're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. That's cool. Let's talk about it. When we make a mistake, let's talk about it. It's not about being perfect. There's no perfect way to do this work. But the absolute way that you fail at this work is not doing it at all. Mistakes will be made. That's all right. But what's not okay or acceptable or even professional is ignoring racism, ignoring the foundational root of white supremacy in our schools, in our curriculum, in our foundation. It was never meant to educate kids of color, and we are failing. <laughs> we're, well, we're succeeding spectacularly at, at, at that goal. You know, at making sure that that is that we continue these systems of of, of these cycles of poverty. Um, part two, we'll be at you soon, and uh, stay tuned. No matter a loss of words right now, because I'm just I'm frustrated. Like we really have to do better. We really have to do better by our by our, our students and uh, be thoughtful about you know who are we putting on the walls and and to reflect more of the people you know maybe all like right maybe your classroom is nothing but people of color because think about how many classrooms are nothing but white people like a lot of times you walk in these classrooms they have one or two like every now and then you'll see a kid of color and it's like newsflash you know to all the white folks out there you're only ten percent of the population. If you're trying to make your population look like all the colors of the world, you know, like a lot of white folks will say, then then you're not, you know, you're only one out of 10. And I think that for white folks, like you're so used to being in, in spaces where you're oversaturated with images of yourself that you just are not, you just, you can't handle it, but you need to get used to that. You know I mean? You need to get, get comfortable being uncomfortable. That's what it's going to take to be a, a successful educator in today's classroom. Be comfortable being uncomfortable because your students, whether you're aware or not, aware of it or not, are uncomfortable. And they're waiting for you to help them make sense of what the hell is going on in the world. So stay tuned for part two. Thank you so much. Please join my free Facebook group, The Anti-Racist Educator Fighting White Supremacy in Schools. The Anti-Racist Educator fighting white supremacy in schools. And you can also schedule a call uh, with um, on Calendry, Calendry, which was invented by a black man, uh, backslash healing racism. Calendry backslash healing racism. This is Charlotte Stevens and the Ancestors with Healing Racism in Schools. I'll see you for part two. Thank you. Bye. Hello, this is Charlotte Stevens and the Ancestors with part two of Is Your Classroom a Hostile Environment? Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and I promise to have information and relevant um, resources for our teachers who are working to be anti-racist and to deal with their anti-blackness and the white supremacy that is just within you. It's just a part of growing up in a white America, a white supremacist society. You know, we need to understand that a lot of good people are racist. There's a lot, like most of the, the people out there are good people who are racist and that it's not, you know, either or, it's not a binary, right? It's not about race, being racist makes you bad. It's a product of growing up 
in a white supremacist society, but we need to be aware of it and then address it. So the fact that you have racist ideas, practices, or you are racist, that's not your fault. But if you stay racist and you're not working on it, that is your fault. But you're here, so you're putting in some type of work, so that's great. So let's move on to what we can do as far as um, protecting our children and making sure that we don't have a hostile uh, environment in our classroom. So we have some lies that we continue to tell our students, and the, it, it's, it's, you know, detrimental, it's, it's, it's problematic, it's unprofessional, it's a lot of things. Um, we need to stop lying about Christopher Columbus. We need to stop lying about Christopher Columbus. My background is as a high school teacher, taught high school and middle school. However, I am raising elementary school kids. And when my son came home with some, some silly song about Columbus, I shut that down right away and told him the truth of who Columbus was and the truth that there's evidence that Africans were here before Columbus. There's evidence that all kinds of people, you know, just, uh, discovered uh, America before he did. And in addition to this is a this is indigenous land. This is stolen land. When it comes to Columbus, we don't talk about the Holocaust, the genocide of the Native American people. We don't we talk about uh, manifesting destiny or how the West was won, or at least that's what how it was explained when I was a kid. And that does that totally waters down, you know, what happened, the brutality, you know, it's a genocide. Uh, what I what I love there's a map where you can see the united states and it's nothing but tribes right you see basically the way it looked before white supremacy came and wiped out the natives and you you it gives you a better understanding of of what white america did you know what what this land was before we came here because i feel like too often we want to we want to skip over that and i mean i was teaching history um, U.S. history, they didn't start with this land belonged to the Native Americans. And if they did, it would, whenever it was within the curriculum, it was very brief. It was never really prioritized. And I was just like, oh, hell no, not in my classroom. You know, we're going to start at the beginning. And at the beginning, you know, there was no white folks here. And white folks need to be reminded, y'all are immigrants too. When we hear the word immigrant, we automatically think of somebody of Latino descent or a Mexican person. No, y'all are immigrants. You came into somebody else's land, committed an act of genocide, and then erased it from history. And then we act like it didn't, it never happened. But we, we learned so much about the Holocaust, um, the Jewish Holocaust, but we don't learn anything about what happened to Native Americans. And we don't learn anything about what happened to the African Americans. Because what the Jews experienced in those, those six years, we experienced that for 400 years. There's 18,000 gazillion movies about the Holocaust, and I think those movies are important. Don't get me wrong. But we don't have any movies or, or hardly any movies really telling us about the horrific nature of, of enslavement it, or how much this uh, country and the world benefited from the economic gain of 400, 500 years of free labor. We don't talk about that either, right? Y'all wouldn't be anything without the free labor of the African-American. We, that's a whole nother segment, but that's another part that we don't talk about. African-Americans built this country, built Washington, D.C., built Wall Street, built Black Wall Street, came up with a number of inventions. We don't get recognition for that. We get recognition for rap music and athletics. That's racist. You know, we invented rock music. We don't get any recognition for that. Country music has, has its roots in the blues. Like almost all the music that we equate with like American music has ties to African-American uh, culture and music. And jazz is, is like the only true American music. Well, we invented jazz. So there's just so many ways that we just don't tell the truth. I was talking about Columbus, though, and the indigenous populations. That's, we really need to stop telling that lie. Columbus was a pirate. He was a pedophile. He used to kidnap indigenous children and give them to his men on the ship to rape. 
Uh, he, he was a murderer. He ushered in genocide. And because of his actions, you know, that led to the enslavement of my people. He's a despicable, horrible person. And we need to stop celebrating him and worshiping him like he's some type of hero. He's a white supremacist. He's a terrible person. Stop telling that lie. Same thing with Thanksgiving. Stop telling that lie. Pocahontas, stop telling that lie. She was a child. There's so much of this embedded in our curriculum. And it's like, we know better. So it's, it's just, there's no, there's no excuse. Great book is Howard Zinn's um, A People's History of the United States. It'll tell you all about uh, Columbus. They always also have a young people's version of Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States. Um, I played that for my classes, you know, when I was teaching social science so that they, because I had an audio book, so they could learn the truth. White supremacy. That was one of the reasons for the Civil War, not trying to end enslavement. You know, we were, the, the, the South was fighting to maintain white supremacy. This country is founded on the notion of white supremacy. It's, it's like our social system, our political system. We don't, we don't say it, but that's what it is. And it's like, my God, if somebody had broke that down to me when I was in school, you know what I mean? If, if, if I had understood that so I could put things in context, what a world of difference that would have made for me. And I absolutely believe that, it's a, that that ignorance is part of what the white supremacist system uses to keep black and brown kids and indigenous kids thinking that there's something wrong with them academically or, or, or intellectually, right? We feed them the lies that you're not as smart as white kids. We always have to throw up the achievement gap and look at the, how the white kids are doing and the Asian kids are doing, not all Asian kids, because that's a, that's a broad term, but, and look how poorly the Latino kids are doing and the black kids are doing. Like, what, what effect do you think that has? On kids, So if we could understand that like, oh, this whole system was designed so that you feel like crap about yourself and so that you can't achieve and your people are screwed. Well, that would help make sense of what I, I'm experiencing as a person of color. So we need to be real about the foundation of the system of, of our country, the history that our curriculum is saturated in white supremacy. There's a reason why you don't see yourselves on the walls or within the curriculum. It was not designed for you to experience that. And being able to just articulate that then gives this the student agency then I understand what the hell is going on and now I can you know proceed rather than not having the words not having the terms not understanding what's going on and then I have to just listen to the interpretation that society's made about me and my people which is we ain't shit and that's why we're not successful like that's not helpful so we need to be real about white supremacy like get comfortable saying it get comfortable hearing it like that's what it is. And this is not just the Proud Boys and people in the KKK. It's a system. It's a system that puts white people at an advantage to everyone else. And that's just what it is. You can see it in the Band-Aid industry where you guys have Band-Aids that match your skin tone. We just got that. I mean, it's, just, it's everything. It's not just, some, not just Band-Aids, but I'm just saying everything was designed with white people in mind to protect your comfort, to maintain and reflect your culture, your interests, et cetera, et cetera. And that is white supremacy. This is a white supremacist culture. That's just what it is built on anti-blackness. It's the foundation of our country. It's not about indicting people. Well, I'm not a KKK member. You don't have to be. Just be raised in the United States and be white. They're breeding you and conditioning you to be a white supremacist and maintain white supremacy. And the first rule of white supremacy is you don't talk about white supremacy. Shh. We all experience it. We're affected by it. We're living in it, but you don't talk about it. We need to, start, we need to, we need to get comfortable talking about it. And I'm going to be talking about it a lot. White supremacy, white supremacy. And it's a fallacy, white supremacy. Whites are not supreme. But whites have been bred and fed that, and so is everybody else. 
it's within all of us. We internalize the same messages. We internalize racism. We internalize all of that. So even if you don't want it, I don't want it, but it's within me, right? That's just why, that's why I know it's within these white teachers because I'm black. It does not serve me to ingest anti-blackness. And yet I have ingested anti-blackness because I grew up in a white supremacist, anti-black society. That's how it goes, people. That's how simple it is. Just wake up, breathe, live, watch TV, check your phone, do the things you normally do, and you will be ingesting racism. You cannot avoid it. So that's why you have to constantly work on unlearning it. Because the racist and the white, the white supremacist culture already has it baked into everything, and it's always, it's always in there. It's always in there. Um, oh, enslavement. So we need to we need to talk about enslavement, not slavery, not saying, oh, they're also I mean, not calling black people, my ancestors, slaves. We're not freaking slaves. And also talking about the economic advantage that that afforded the United States and the world. It's like, you know, why we're the greatest country on the planet or, or quote unquote, the greatest country because of us, because we built everything, did everything, did all the work that white people didn't want to do didn't get paid for it and then all of that money went into white pockets so that generation after generation white people are getting wealthier and wealthier and we ain't getting shit when we were freed from slavery we didn't get any housing we didn't get any funds we didn't get any job training we didn't get any therapy we didn't get anything 400 years of being somebody's property now we're free where the hell are we supposed to go can't get a job they won't hire us they're lynching us left and right white people are lynching us left and right because they do not want to compete with us for jobs white folks love to talk about affirmative action like giving unfair advantages to people of color but white people have had affirmative action forever that's part of white supremacy that white men who were less talented less skilled got hired over people of color who had more talent and more skilled because of maintaining white supremacy we still do that we call it culture fit and we, tell, we say, oh, you don't fit the culture here, the white culture here. You don't fit in person of color, so we're not going to hire you regardless of your skill set because you make white people feel uncomfortable, especially if they're like me who is going to bring these things up, right, and like let white people know, oh, no, we're definitely not hiring you. We still do that same practice. But back in the day, we had freed, we had freed all these uh, enslaved Africans, didn't offer them any jobs, uh, lynched them, the KKK and the NRA, uh, were soon created right after Africans were enslaved as a means to harass and, um, you know, uh, uh, terrorize the black community. And then there was vagrancy laws. So when they, when they would not hire us and we had nowhere to go or nothing to do, well, now you're a vagrant or you're loitering. So now we can lock you up for years at a time so that we can lease you out. Because we know from the 13th Amendment, once we have you back in jail, we can put you right back in slavery. There's been an economic interest in criminalizing uh, the criminalization of blackness and in getting us into the, the, the prison system so that we can go back to being slaves. Some of the products that you enjoy today are being made by slave labor. I'll have that information for you later, but I believe it's in the documentary 13th on Netflix. You can see it for yourself. We need to tell the truth about enslavement and about how white supremacy was the driving factor and, and, and the economic interest were the driving factor, the greed, white greed was the driving factor around enslavement. And then finally, the inventions and contributions to math and science. We love to act like the only thing that black people or people of color have contributed to is entertainment. No, that's not true. Let, let me be clear about a lot of things. <laughs> We have not had the same opportunity. So we did not get to just pursue our interests and our passion, just do what we wanted to do and, be, and be, have, uh, have a sustainable living um, from it. We have not had the same um, advantages. And I know that if you're not black, you don't understand, but that's just what it is. So, but we don't get 
even the people who have been able to uh, accomplish things do not get recognition. Let me make a side note. When it came to enslaved Africans, if you invented something, and as you can imagine, if you have to work like your life depends on it, literally, you're going to be inventing all kinds of things to make life easier for you. If you invented something, your white uh, master got credit for that. So there's a number of things that black people invented that white people have taken credit for. I still do not believe that Eli Whitney created the damn cotton gin. I don't believe that shit. I'm so tired of hearing that. I'm like, no, he didn't. You know, we talk about what Betsy Ross or, or created the, sewed the first American flag. No, her enslaved Africans sewed that flag. There's so many things that we give white people credit for, but their quote unquote property, my ancestors, black folks are the ones who actually did that. So we, there's, we don't know. And in addition to white supremacy is always given, you know, patent rights or just more opportunities for white people to steal inventions. And we know that white folks, that's your culture. You stole this land and you stole my ancestors. Y'all steal all kinds of shit. You, you, you stole yoga, appropriated that. Like that's part of what it means to be white is that you will take credit for somebody else's work, write your name on it and just glorify yourself. So anyway, we have a number of inventions that were, that should be common knowledge to people. So for example, Dr. Gladys West invented the GPS system. I don't know about you, but I haven't looked at a paper map in years now. I'm always relying on GPS. We should know that a black woman made that possible. Um, uh, Dr. Uh, George Washington Carver, he was born in enslavement. He's, all, he's all often quoted or misquoted as like the inventor of peanut butter. Let me tell you what this, this man did. A, he was a freaking genius. He was an agricultural genius. And he took crops that weren't making any money, like the peanut um, crop. And I believe, I want to say the sweet potato. I'm not sure. But crop, farmers who were growing these crops and weren't making any money. And then he found like hundreds and hundreds of different uses for this one product. So he's just like geeking out on peanuts and making all these different things from peanuts. So what do you think that did for the peanut farmers? How do you think that helps the agricultural industry? That put money in their pocket. That, that created an economy that wasn't there. These farmers that were poor because of this genius science, uh, uh, agricultural scientist, this black man, uh, Dr. Carver, made that possible. I believe Henry Ford was trying to connect with him. There was a number of people. I think Einstein reached out to him. I'm not positive. Uh, I'm not sure if it was. Um, I'm not positive. Look it up yourself. But a number of people reached out to him and recognized his genius. But, but how he's promoted in our schools is he invented peanut butter. No, this man was brilliant. Um, Mark Dean, he invented the IBM personal computer. He also helped develop the first color PC monitor. People should know that. You know, we're doing all the stuff on our laptops right now or our, our personal computers at home. Well, you could thank this black man for making that possible for you. Um, let me see, Annie Easley, she was a black computer scientist at NASA. Dr. Daniel Williams, he did the first successful open heart surgery. So everybody out there eating your bacon and your fried whatever out there in those, those states that hate black people, you know, when you get your little heart attack, you need some heart, open heart surgery. You could think a black man for that. Um, we have Jane Wright. She advanced chemotherapy techniques. So everybody who's, you know, dealing with cancer, right? That affects people of all shades. Well, you could think a black woman for her achievements there. Lonnie Johnson, he was in the Air Force. He was a, uh, worked at NASA. He has over 80 patents okay and he was um the creator of the super soaker super soaker super soaker water gun um but wait there's more uh the color television i'm gonna say this wrong forgive me guillermo camarena invented the color television i mean how many things you know have spun off of the color television thanks to this man and this was a mexican-american uh the birth control pill by Luis Mir 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 Montes. 
Um, and they tested the birth control pill, I think on Puerto Rican women um, and black women. So women of color were used as guinea pigs. And once they got the birth control pill right, then they issued it to white women. But a lot of medical advances have come from the forced experimentation uh, that was inflicted on uh, black people, enslaved peoples, uh, indigenous people and people of color. Um, and then the research, a research institute from Mexico uh, invented a biodegradable anti-graffiti paint. I need to look up the name of this um, of this institute. But they, ended, they in, invented an anti-graffiti uh, paint where when you try to spray graffiti on a surface that has this paint on it, it just slides right off. These are some of the, this is just a few of the uh, inventions uh, from black and brown people. And this was a quick Google search, which is why I just I, I, I don't have patience when we don't have a uh, curriculum that reflects our students within math and science classes. We should have pictures of these 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 individuals um, and their inventions so that black and brown kids can see reflections of themselves. The default where we automatically go is we think, oh, well, a white person must have invented this because that's what we're always fed. When you don't talk about and highlight the inventions of people of color, then we just assume that we don't have any. And that's detrimental. And we can't have that. So there are so many ways that we can do a better job of incorporating um, a, a, an anti-racist curriculum and really thinking about, you know, who's on our walls. Real talk, our students are oversaturated with images of white people. We really don't need any. It's it, like you could have your classroom walls full of people of color and the white kids are going to be fine because they're going to see themselves reflected in the magazines, on television, on the Internet, you know, in, in politics, on, you know, everywhere. It, so it, it's not going to be this great disservice for them to be in an environment where that's not the case. And I want to clarify on my last um, podcast when I said that white people are 10 percent of the population. I'm, I'm talking about globally. So if we're preparing our kids for a global society, then this white supremacist, you know, white bias curriculum that we have is not preparing them for that because we are going to be we're already, you know, doing business globally. You cannot keep perpetuating and, and, and only speaking to white norms and white culture. We must expand our understanding of humanity. We must embrace other cultures if you want to stay current, because that's that's where things are headed. And um, we have to evolve. We have to evolve and we have to do better. So. Thank you for, you know, this third segment of Healing Racism in Schools. I will be coming to you with more information about how we can protect and better serve our black and brown students. And again, please come to my or join my Facebook group, the Anti-Racist Educator Fighting White Supremacy in Schools. You need that whole title. There are a lot of groups called the Anti-Racist Educator, but that's not my group. My group is the Anti-Racist Educator Fighting White Supremacy in Schools. Um, I would love for you to be a part of my group so I can give you more resources so that we can better serve our students. This is Charlotte Stevens and the Ancestors. Thank you for joining me again, and I will keep you posted with things that we can do to better serve our students because as you know, our students deserve better. Thank you.